Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks, two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 313 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jeremy Green. Hey, everybody. And Eric Dietrich. Hello, everyone. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And we are going to talk to you this week about what to do when your clients are wrong. Or perhaps that's putting it like too harshly. Um, what do you guys want to want to introduce the subject a little more uh, delicately than I did? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I think the the idea is, you know, what do you do when you've maybe given your client some recommendations on some things that you think should be done in the project that you're working on? And they say, no, we don't want to do that. Or maybe they come to you and say, hey, we've heard about you know, this new thing, or we've had an idea and we want to try something. And what do you do if you feel like that is not a good idea and is not going to be beneficial to the project and will not help them achieve the goals that they've set out? Yeah, this is, this is so difficult and delicate, especially like, I mean, I already can think of some stories that I'm going to tell here, but <laughs> it becomes so, so much easier when you don't need the money, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> if, if you've only got one client or a handful of clients, or this is the client who's paying you on time or any other sort of combination, right? And they are the only ones who you can rely on for your income. And they ask you to do something, be it bad, wrong, unethical, you name it, right? That makes it so much harder and worse than um, like if you can just walk away from it. Because I would say, not always, not always, but many times if a client asks you to do the wrong thing or something you disagree with or whatnot, you can just, you know, say no and I'll get work elsewhere. But that's not always possible and not always realistic. Yeah. Um, so, so the first piece of advice I'd give is don't be in that situation. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> right. Have, have lots of clients so you can choose from them um, so that you can walk away if it's really and truly horrible. Um but okay, let's 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 step back a bit before I, you know, I guess I'm really jumping the gun here. So, when a client asks, let, let, I, I I like the way that you introduced it. Like, there are two different things here. One is like you want to do something, the client says, "No way, not that way." And the other is the client comes to you and says, "I want to do something," and you say, "No way, not that way," <laughs> or at least you think that. Yeah. So let's start with the first one. Let's start with the the first where. You have a solution to their problem, and you are utterly convinced based on your extensive professional background. Like, you know how to solve this problem, and you come to them and say, if, you know, if only, and it might be free, and it might involve, you know, some investment, doesn't necessarily matter. And they say, no, like, not good. All right, well, then, what then? What, what do you do at that point? And maybe I'm sure you guys have some stories along these lines as well. 
so for me, the free versus investment kind of matters because one, I guess, arrow in my quiver would be to say, I believe in this so much that why don't we try it for free? You know, I, I, assuming it's not onerous to implement, um, why don't I just do this for you and we'll run an experiment and see how it goes. But obviously that only works if their objection is that they don't want to pay for it. It's a cost objection. If it's something you would just do for free and they say no to that, that's kind of a different ball game. Um, but so the first thing that would occur to me is to find a way to demonstrate how much I believe in it by putting my money where my mouth is. And meaning that you're willing to invest in it. You're willing to take a hit financially yeah, sort of, I guess, as a loss leader. And um, I'm trying to think of a concrete example that nothing's coming to mind off the top, but I can generally think of this approach in the past where, so like, say, for instance, for my blogging business, and I'm kind of winging it here with this, but um, where we write blog posts for our clients. And if I thought that you, you really need a blog post about this particular topic, because, you know, we think you're going to rank for it. If the client were to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay for it. I don't think it'll work. Then I might say, well, okay, why don't we just do a blog post? We'll just give that to you and we'll see what happens because I really believe in this. And so that's a thing where, you know, our cost isn't going to be too high on that. And it's a way to potentially build trust uh, while doing what you believe in. Um, but if it were, you know, a year's worth of blog posts, that's probably not something that we'd offer for free. Right. Right. I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, I know that there have definitely been times when I've suggested to clients, I mean, when I was doing more sort of consulting project stuff, there were different times when I said, well, we should really do it in this way or that way. Like, we should use this kind of database. We should store things in the following way. And it didn't happen that often, but there were definitely times when a client would say to me, no, like, this is just not the way I want to do it. I mean, I, I remember there was one point, this was uh, probably close to 10 years ago now, that I was working with a client in Tel Aviv. And it was a very, very small company, a startup, where they had hired me to do some help. And I wanted to keep track of users in their system in the database with a bunch of different uh, columns in the database. You know, are they a user? Are they an administrator? Are they part of this group or that group? It wasn't really that many things. And uh, the CEO, and I, I kid you not, it's like a three-person company plus, plus me doing some consulting work. The CEO was like, wait, what? You're using all those columns? What we really need is a bit field here. <laughs> oh no <laughs> and, and he was like because that's like the most efficient way to keep track of things i'm thinking to myself right if you are still living in the 1960s however those of us living in the modern era have slightly different ways of doing these things and like what are you talking about this is nuts and i, I remember presenting my case to him and i think while i managed to convince him not to do it i think that massively soured our relationship and that was sort of like the beginning of the end, because at the end, you know, he still saw himself as not only the CEO, but as you know, a brilliant software guy. And so he didn't want to have me second guessing his uh, brilliant decisions. Um, so, yeah. So so like and, and again, there is that danger that if you disagree with them, I still feel like it was the right thing to do to tell him this was nuts um, <laughs> because it was. Uh, um, but. It's always a little dicey, right? Saying your client and, and learning to phrase it in a smarter way than perhaps I was able to <laughs> would have been wise.
Yeah, so it does, you know, it's worth throwing this out there, albeit briefly, because it doesn't really go along with the spirit of what we're talking about here. But you always do have the option to just kind of go along with it and preserve the relationship. And there are times where I think that makes sense, you know, pick your battles, live to fight another day. Um, so it's it's a tough thing. Um what I've found, especially when I'm doing, uh, when I've done management consulting over the years, is that you almost need to, when you're going to do something like that, come up with like a face saving strategy. So I can't really think in this particular situation what it might be, but along the lines of you've got the CEO of the company who has some knowledge of software that is perhaps, shall we say, a little bit outdated, <laughs> that you come up with a way that you can both be right. And, and maybe the line about like, Oh, well, you know, that was obviously a best practice, but here comes this new thing in the last year that you just couldn't have possibly known about that, you know, now makes this a best practice. So, I mean, that's a little bit contrived, but one good way that I've had luck over the years with that sort of thing is to come up with a way where somehow you're both right. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's almost like if you come in and this is definitely sort of my kind of approach and I'm not saying it's right as you heard a moment, but if you come in and sort of say, no, like, I'm right, and here's the reason. Let me show you. Um, even if you're proving it um, for some value of proving, they're not going to go for it, right? Like It's just not conducive to winning an argument. So, right, you can go along with it. You can try to find some middle ground. In some ways, I think it's, ha it, it's helpful to just sort of tease it out and say, okay, well, let's go, you know, let, let's compare the two different things. Let's look at costs. Let's look at time. Let's look at, let's look at maintainability. And hopefully the client will then sort of over time realize, like, as you have this conversation, oh, I see what you're trying to say. And they still might end up saying, no, I still want to do it my way. But at least you can feel better about, OK, they, they get what I'm trying to do here. They get I'm trying to save the company money. They get that I'm trying to increase the maintainability um, as opposed to just, you know, basically uh, demonstrate my superior knowledge and ego. Yeah, and it can also be a good opportunity to say, let's take a step back and make sure that we are both on the same page regarding the goals of this project. Because as I understand the goals, it seems clear to me that what I've suggested here is the best path. And if it's not clear to you, it might be because we have a mismatch in what our goals are or a mismatch in the understanding of the current state of the project or, you know, kind of try to tease out some of that detail about why this makes sense given the goals as you understand them and you know sometimes i've i've gone down that path and realized oh okay yeah i i thought you guys were you know concerned about x but yeah you're not that's not a big deal you're more concerned about y and so yeah now i see why you think my suggestion was a bad idea it was because i misunderstood your your priorities and then other times it you know can get the client to refocus and realize that Okay, yeah, I was, you know, the, get the client to realize that they were focusing on something that isn't really their biggest priority and that it, once they, you know, get a legitimate evaluation of their priorities that then they see that your suggestion takes those into account and does what they're looking for. Right. I like that. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I remember that I, I did this uh, project a number of years ago for a, a large uh, international company who's name begins with S and ends with P and has an A in the middle. Um, <laughs> and like, they had, they, they brought on this team of 40 people to work on this huge new project in rails. 
and then basically realized no one knew Rails. So they brought me in to do some combination of training and mentoring and sitting with people. I had a blast. Like it was great fun. But like the way it worked was if someone wanted to change something in one of the database fields, they submitted like a change request to the architect who discussed it. And, you know, then when he approved it, sent it to the foundation team, which produced an XML document, which was then compiled into Ruby, which the next version around then included that database field. Lord. I was like, I was like, what, what, what's going on? And they said, well, now we're agile. See, and I said, um, okay, I, this is not quite the typical household definition of agile, but, uh, that sure. word, I don't think um, it means what you think it means. <laughs> and like at a certain point I realized, okay, this is like their corporate culture. And for them, this was like radically fast and agile compared to what they normally did. So they felt great about themselves. Um, I mean, until the project was canceled, but, but like, <laughs> and, and, and by the way, like it was, that, that was also a good lesson for me because um, it turns out that these like 40 people hired full-time staffers never had budget approval. So it was like someone's skunk works project, which didn't go well. So, Oh, well, and I can't imagine having that kind of money to throw around, but I'm also not a multi-billion dollar corporation. So it, it was sort of, I, I realized that for them, they were really stretching and like my plans for them and my thoughts of what they should be doing were just laughably off the mark given their corporate culture and possibilities. So they were wrong, but not totally wrong. They were just weird, but very nice. <laughs> so one thing I've found over the course of time is I think of it, the phrase that popped into my head was going along under protest, although I, I don't actually think of it in quite those terms if you're presenting it to somebody. but And this may apply more to the scenario where a client comes to you and says, hey, I think we should do X. And and you say, you know, I, I like to help you, but I don't really view that as a good idea, that dynamic right there, where you kind of maybe at a point say, okay, I will do this for you, but I have the following objections and here are the problematic outcomes I foresee coming down the line. If you're aware of this, uh, we can go ahead um, so that's another strategy I've employed over the years. I don't usually feel great about that, but like I kind of view it as a trust building exercise because if the things you've predicted turn out to be true, often they'll kind of come back and ask you to correct it in, in my experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in those, in those situations, it's very important to, you know, be honest with yourself and the client and make sure that you don't either purposefully or subtly, not on purpose, do things that undermine the project because you didn't get your way, because that will destroy trust faster than anything. You know, you need to, if you're going to do that, that kind of disagree, but do it anyway, you need to really commit to trying to make the thing work that you suspect may not work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that helps me kind of get into the frame of that mind is usually I'll present something like that to the client by saying, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but you know, here are my concerns. And it may sound a little cheesy, but even phrasing it that way kind of gets you into this frame of mind that like, yeah, you know, it is possible that I'm wrong. I think this, I have some expertise in this field, but I don't know for sure. And that sort of, at least for me, tease it up that it shakes you out of maybe, um, not that I would 
actively seek out some kind of malicious compliance with them. But yeah, you know, let's try this. You could be right. I'm worried, but you know, hopefully this works. Yeah. Right. I like that also. I, I, I like the, uh, I hope I'm wrong, but it's, it, it definitely sounds less pompous than, <laughs> you know, you do this and you're going to crash and burn and pay for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, just like, uh, I, I guess it was like already two or three years ago, there was this company that called me and also in rail stuff. And they said, look, we had this developer and he left us and now we've, you know, we have to maintain the software and we don't know anything about software. And so it sounded like sort of an interesting project to work with this company that wasn't very technical. And yet they, they were trying to become very nice and modern using software. And so uh, it was like a booking system. And they said, look, if we could find out about our customers here. And like, we, we really need to improve the interface of the customers. And my employee and I are like, oh, okay, you know, sounds interesting. And they said, for instance, you know, we could bring up a customer profile here and we see where they've booked and we see where they've gone and we have their credit card number. And we said, wait, wait what? <laughs> and they said, oh, yes, it's really useful. <laughs> and we said, okay, stop, stop right there. Like, <laughs> this, this is very bad. And they said, what do you mean? Like they, they were completely clueless. And this was where we put our feet down. And we basically said, we will not work on this project if we can't like fix the credit card thing. Like this is just like, it must happen. And they were very, very reluctant. And then they said, okay, fine. We'll, we'll, we'll allow you to do that. So we did that. And we were working on a, a like a monthly retainer and we were getting prepaid one, like a, a great decision in that case. I said, I want to get prepaid for each month. So the time came for the second month after we'd fixed this whole credit card problem. And they said, yeah, but you didn't do the, the other thing we asked you to do. And we said, yeah, because we were fixing your credit card problems so and the credit card company doesn't come in to shut you down. And they said, oh, no, 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 that, like, that really wasn't important. That was the, like the thing that you wanted to do, not us. So it was clear that while we were sort of screaming hair on fire, like this is super incredibly important, you must do it. We weren't very convincing. Um, and they just kept plowing along as if, you know, we had said nothing. Um, so mm. we left not in the best of terms. I still feel like we did the right thing in fixing this. Um, but it did cost us the business, um, which we probably could have had for a while until they were shut down by the credit card company, I'm sure. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash freelancers. Yeah, so that kind of brings up, you know, that there is a, a wide range of wrongness i guess you know that clients might be in some of these situations and that how you handle it is always going to be you know the amount of wrongness always is a factor in how you choose to handle something you know we had a client one time in my old agency business that came to us and said this was a new client that we had never worked with before and said you know hey i need you guys to design me a logo and here is the logo of my brother-in-law who was my previous business partner and now we are not on good terms so i want you to <laughs> steal his logo and just put my name <laughs> on it and we were like yeah no we're sorry we're not going to do that you <laughs> you know if if that's what you need you you can find a different designer we'll be happy to work with you try to come up with a new logo you know we, we could even use it as inspiration but we're not just going to steal the 
the logo for you. <laughs> and, you know, so that for us, that was a very clear line. Like, nope, that is so wrong that we're not even going to talk to you about doing that versus, you know, some, some other things on the other end of the scale. You're going to have things like, you know, I suspect that if we did it my way instead of your way, the results are going to be one to two percent better. And, you know, in that kind of a case, it's not a clear you're asking me to do something wrong. It's we have different ideas about how two competing theories might work. And so that that you would obviously handle differently. So I think of now like three cases as you brought that one up, which is really interesting. There's kind of the and I think for a lot of the conversation, you know, whether it's storing database uh, field in bits or or separate columns or things like that, that's kind of the one to two percent. You know, th this would be a better play. Then there's what you're talking about, which is the client is so wrong, they're dragging you into something that's either unethical or potentially illegal. Yep. And then there might be something where it's sort of in the middle of those two, where it's not really going to be a problem for you per se, but where you might say, I believe that doing this for you would constitute malpractice. Like, I'm not willing to do this. It won't get me in trouble, but mm -hmm. it's such a bad idea that you're going to have to find somebody else. Like, if you were a doctor and somebody, you know, came in and said, my toe hurts, I want you to amputate my foot, the doctor would say, I'm, I'm not doing that. Yeah, right. And I think, yeah, so for anybody listening, if, if a client is trying to rope you into plagiarism or something, like I, I can't imagine that there is a level in your business where you should be desperate enough to do stuff like that. <laughs> you know, please just don't do that. Yep. The malpractice one, I think, is kind of interesting and that might vary for different people. I remember at times working with clients, especially in the enterprise, where I was considering coming on to some project or some program or something. And I started to think of what I was being asked to do as blood money, you know, uh, come in here and help us overhaul some, you know, piece of bureaucracy. And I would look at this and think, even if I succeed, all I will do is collect money from you for a while. You know, for your definition of success isn't going to move any needle that matters. So I don't want to do that. And that's more of a gray area. But I think, you know, as we were talking about at the beginning of the show, as you get established in your business and have good options, you can kind of take a pass on things that you don't really feel like you're going to be helping a client with. Right. And my experience is also that if you, especially if you like turn down work saying, look, I could take your money, but it's not, it's not going to be worth it. That will come back to help you. So the opposite of coming back to haunt you at some point in the, in the future, either they'll come back to you having respected you for that or they'll refer you to someone else. Mm. Um, simply simply milking someone for their money is sort of short-term, I don't want to say good, but short-term profitable, but long-term problematic because people also spread the word about, well, all they did was take my money for three months and not do anything. Yeah, I've, I've had a potential client come to me that was wanting me to help them write plugins for, I think it was SketchUp maybe, that happened to be, you have to write plugins in Ruby for this application and I talked to him for a little while and, you know, it was certainly something that I could have done and could have figured out, but it was far enough outside of my wheelhouse that what I ultimately told them was, look, I, if you just can't find anybody else, I'm happy to help you with this. But I know that there are people that specialize in making SketchUp plugins in Ruby and, you know, you can find somebody that's not going to be learning on the job and they're going to help you get this done a lot faster and a lot better than I would be able to. And I would recommend you go that direction if you can at all. And, you know, they were very happy with that and have sent several other, you know, non SketchUp related leads my way over the years, just because that built trust for them. Yeah. I've, I've had a, 
similar experience over the years, refusing to take what I think of as blood money or, you know, I guess putting it more politely to say like, well, I wouldn't probably want to help you with this for the following reasons. You know, maybe this other company could or, or whatever it may be always kind of has you remembered well, because then they associate you with really having their best interests in mind, even in cases where you and them might disagree about exactly what those interests are, or how to achieve them. <laughs> they'll still think of you as somebody who, you know, has your eyes on the prize on their behalf. So I think we sort of, I can't remember which we started with, like the, you suggesting these to the client or them asking you. So, so I don't think we did yet. Have you ever suggested things to a client and they just turned you down, even though you thought it was like, totally the best way to do things. I have. So I guess if I think about how I've reacted to that, it really depends on if it's kind of a a suggestion that I come to them and say, here's some other things I think we could do, or here's something I think might help you. And they say, no, I don't really have the budget for that. Or no, I don't really agree. If it's sort of not core to what I'm doing, then my reaction to that is typically, okay, Let's revisit this later, potentially. Like, I'm not so worried about that. I'm trying to think if there have been times where it is kind of core to my mission. I can't really think of a lot of that off the top. So what do you have in mind there that is it, you know, that that you're doing another phase of your work and you say, I think we really need to go in this direction for the project to succeed, something like that? Yeah, like, uh, you know, we need uh, to move to a different server. We need to have testing because there's no testing. Something along those lines. I mean, sort of in many cases, the business would really benefit from making those decisions earlier rather than later. Like better make them now from a position of thinking than make them later from a position of panic. Um, And I mean, sometimes usually my clients are very happy to have me come and suggest those sorts of things. Um, even if we don't implement them right away, they're like, oh, that's good that you're thinking about that. But sometimes I've just been like totally you know, flat, you know, t- turned down. So I mean, one one client I remember a number of years ago who um, I said, OK, we, we really like, you know, I'd come in to fix the software they already had for their system. And there were literally no tests. And, you know, this was already a multi-million dollar business. It was online. This was not like a fly-by-night operation. Well, actually, it's not entirely true. But anyway, um, (laughs) (laughs) and he said, no, I do not want to waste time on tests, right? Like, And I said, well, like long term, it's not really going to be a waste of time. It's going to make the business better. And I don't know what his thing was. He was not a technical person at all. But he basically saw that as a complete waste of time and we shouldn't be spending time on it. So I think he was mostly just a cheapskate. But it was very, so I said, fine. I and mean, this is where I just sort of went along with it. I said, fine, you know, you, yeah, I, I have presented the risks to you. You understand, or I'd like to think that you understand what's going on here. Um, if you're going to keep paying me both to write and then to fix the problems that we could have had, you know, not had at all, sure, fine. And then he didn't pay. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, demonstrating he was a cheapskate as well as a louse, but oh well. So that sort of concretion helps me think through what I do. I'm imagining engaging with a client and they're lacking automated testing and they have, you know, like a mounting defect count, a lot of regressions, things of that nature to say like, you need to kind of stop, pay down some of this tech debt and get tests around what you're doing. If they're pushing back on that, I guess it would sort of depend where I was in my business. But one sort of minimally aggressive thing you can do is to like, I think of it as kind of predicting the future and say, okay, but if you keep going down this path, I predict that the following things will happen. 
you know, the lack of automated tests is going to make comparably sized features take longer and longer over the coming months. You're going to have more and more regressions. It's going to be harder and harder to ship. And so if you kind of go on record with that stuff and then you're revisiting those predictions periodically, I've found that at times that can make a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. if you have a lot of options to say, look, I I consider this to be borderline malpractice. Like you're, this is going to be a train wreck and I kind of want to, you know, parachute on out of here. So maybe give me a call (laughs) when you're ready to do testing. That'd be an option too, I guess, if you have uh, other things lined up. Right. I mean, look, I've got another client right now. I mean, a very, very small project where their servers are in horrible shape. It's a teensy weensy business that's not making any money. They're fully aware of the fact that their servers are like teetering on the edge of collapse, but they have no money. And so they're like, look, we know. And, you know, every time they call me and they say, well, we're trying to negotiate such and such a deal. So they're like, I've been very clear with them. They know I feel like I'm not doing any professional malpractice in advising them. And given their budget or lack thereof and given their state, okay, we'll just sort of keep, you know, adding more duct tape to the software (laughs) until they can, uh, you know, until it's more more goo than, uh, than, than useful stuff. Yeah, I mean, so I think if if it's legitimately impossible for them to take your advice, or at least infeasible, you know, and and budget is a common source of that, I'm with you. Then you say, like, look, I get that. Let me help you however I can. It would be ideal if you had a chunk of money and you could invest in better server infrastructure, but I understand that you want to and you can't, so let's figure out the next best thing. And sometimes I'll, I'll suggest a staged approach, right? Like, okay, you can't do anything right now, but... Let's you know say what do we want to do in a month and what do we want to do in six months and little by little we can make our way toward you know really solving I don't want to say all the problems but many of the problems it's sort of like paying for things in installments where sometimes it's just sort of less painful that way I'm trying to think like has anyone ever asked you to do anything like truly well I guess Jeremy you said like the unethical thing with the uh, <laughs> the logo yeah but but it sounds to me like that was as much a family problem as anything else <laughs> oh yeah it was definitely a family dispute that uh they were trying to get us in the middle of and we opted out of that not a good place to be i'm trying to think i've for our blogging agency i've been asked a few times i'm trying to remember what it was one was to sort of misrepresent something on a site. I don't remember if it was misrepresent the authorship or a commercial interest. So, oh, I think there was somebody came and asked if we would post something somewhere that was basically a commercial, but act as if we were just, you know, we were ghostwriting something and and the author was just kind of, you know, for no particular financial interest writing about this topic, you know, reviewing some piece of software or something. And anytime something like that's come up, I'm fortunate enough to have been in a position where I just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Sorry. And the other one I can think of was my last salary job. I was asked to do something unethical. And that sort of was one of a number of reasons I left that job. (laughs) But yeah, I don't, at least for me, that hasn't come up all that often over the years, mercifully. Yeah, I haven't hit it very many times, and I'm glad for that. But I think, like, I can't stress enough to anybody listening, don't do things like that. It just will never be worth it in the end. Right. I mean, word will get out, or they'll just sort of bring you deeper and deeper into the into the muck. Or, I mean, in the worst case scenario, if there are legal issues, you could you could really have to deal with some legal issues there. And mm-hmm. that's always, that that's not fun. Um, what, what can you do to sort of, and I... I mean, I definitely don't do this, and especially nowadays, like since I'm mostly doing training, it doesn't come up as much. 
But is there a way that you can sort of set up the relationship in advance to avoid some of these sorts of issues? Mm, I think so. Um, there's a lot for me to unpack mentally. So like over the years, I kind of moved from doing implementation type work and eventually I was doing developer coaching and training and then eventually management consulting. And so as I watch that transition, management consulting is often um, happening in sort of the diagnosis and prescription stage. And what I found is that with management consulting clients, usually they were listening to things that I said. Uh, so how that translates across the board, I'm not exactly sure, but I can speak to those particular relationships. Like the more consultative a relationship is, the more a client will listen to you for your expertise. So I guess what it is, is it Jonathan that sometimes talks about like get paid for your brain and not for your hands? Um, yeah. So setting up a relationship from the get-go like that uh, you will wind up having fewer situations where you butt heads and the client is saying, no, just do it. I, I don't care. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Some of the times that clients are most likely to disregard your advice is when they see you as just a pair of hands and they feel that you're even trying to give them advice is you kind of stepping outside of your your bounds and not knowing your place sort of. And sometimes they'll, they'll push back just on that alone, regardless of, you know, actually what the, the idea is. Sometimes they just have the opinion that you shouldn't be making those kind of recommendations because that's not what I pay you to do. Those are generally bad clients. I, I don't like to try to work with those people, but that does happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely get like in my initial calls with training companies, they'll sometimes say, well, we really want to do it in this way or that way. And because they're calling me as a trainer, typically I can convince them out of the crazy stuff they want to do. Not always, <laughs> but typically, right? Like, I mean, I mean, my favorite line I'm sure I've mentioned here is, you know, they'll say, so how long is your intro Python course? I'll say four days. They'll say, well, you know, our people are smarter than average, so we can do it in three days. So, you know, this, some of you might know is the Lake Wobegon effect, right? Where everyone is, <laughs> smarter than average, uh, right? Which, and it's amazing how every company has smarter than average employees. And I explained to them that it has nothing to do with how smart you are. It takes time to get through the material. It takes time to get through the exercises and it takes time to absorb things. And usually, usually companies are willing to believe me on this. Not always, but a very large time, a number of times. But, you know, sometimes, I mean, I had a company last year that called me up and said, we need an emergency, like we need your Git course. And I said, fantastic. It's two days long. And they said, we only have one day. I said, you really want two days? No, we only have one day. I said, okay, fine, I'll come in. And they said, and we need 60 people to take it at once in that same day. I said, well, my limit is usually 16. They said, no, no, we need everyone to take it. So I came and I taught a huge number of people. It was like a crazy, crazy day. And uh, I just did two rounds with that company <laughs> of uh, follow-up courses because with all the people who were in it last year but didn't understand what happened because it was a one-day course instead of two. So I feel vindicated. <laughs> um, and, they paid, and they paid me twice for the same work. So, hey. Um, yeah. So, Reuven, your experience with clients sort of listening to you just tickles something in my brain, which is if you have kind of an offering ladder or productized service and you have become an expert in – the delivery of that service or productized service, 
it gets a lot easier to position yourself as an expert, I think, because you can point to and say, hey, I have all this data from having done this over and over and over again. Like, I know this stuff. That'll help overcome a lot of objections as opposed to being sort of a, you know, generalist laborer or consultant where each situation is unique. So if I think of my own stuff, the the more narrow I am in terms of my focus uh, vis-a-vis what the client is talking to me about, the more they're inclined to listen to me where I can point to a bunch of past experience and engagements and say, look, you know, I know how this type of thing goes. I have a bunch of experience doing it in the past. Uh, that also, I think, helps uh, tee you up for them not trying to Uh, disagree with you or sharpshoot you or what have you yeah i i agree i agree it definitely helps to to have the um people say look i've been you know now i say these companies look i've been doing this for years now i know how long it takes and this is just sort of the way it works and so yeah yeah that definitely helps any other things we can say on this So I think if I were going to give a general piece of advice personally, it would be something we touched on early in the call, which is when you find yourself in a situation where you make a recommendation to a client and you're coming in as sort of an expert in what you're doing or you're experienced and the client just comes back and says, no, I disagree. We're not doing that. That can be a real gut check. It can get your blood up, you know, and and you start to want to argue. And it's really important to kind of keep a cool head and to depersonalize it and to make, I guess, the argument as antiseptic as possible. Because what you don't want to do is get into like a fight with your client. You don't want to be stubborn. You don't want to dig in. You don't want to do what Jeremy was talking about earlier and, and uh, sabotage an effort if you do go along with it. So make sure you're uh, depersonalizing the situation as much as possible and remembering that you're kind of both trying to help the client succeed. You just have a difference of opinion at the moment on how to do that. I like that. That's really good. Yep. All right. Any other comments before we head into picks? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right. Jeremy, what you got for us this week? So I've been using a a service called Splice. It's at splice.com to uh, do some music collaborations with people, and I'm really enjoying that. They also have a kind of a cool service where if you need to buy kind of stock sounds or plugins and whatnot, you can, uh, instead of shelling out a bunch of money to buy things outright, you can more or less rent them from Splice on kind of a lease to own sort of a payment plan. But it's interesting. I've been enjoying it a lot for uh, my music stuff. And that's all I got today. Very nice. 
Eric, what you got? I got a couple things this week. The first one is something that my wife found actually, and it's called GoodRx, and I believe it is a both a service and a phone app that helps people. I don't know if it's limited to the U.S. It might well be, but it it helps you get discounts on prescription medication. And the reason I'm recommending it is because she specifically got like a 50% discount on on some uh, medication that she needed to go have filled. So it's worth at least a look if you've got some expensive prescriptions. And then the other thing I'll I'll pick is a .NET service that I've been using in in a bit of back office code I've been writing for our blogging agency. It's called Manatee Trello. And if you're a C-sharp developer, it is uh, a wrapper for the Trello API that is pretty non-leaky abstraction and uh, handy to use. And it's an open source project whose sponsor is extremely helpful and responsive. So um, that's my other pick this week. Very nice. So I have two picks. Um, one is uh, I just uh, this, uh, a week or two ago before we were recording this. So I did a, a, a new launch of a weekly Python exercise. I'm very happy. I'm very satisfied. And um, the platform I've been using for sales is Podia, which is not a great name, but better than the old name they used to have. This was <laughs> with Coach. I mean, come on. Anyway. I've been very happy with Podia in every possible way. Their people are nice. Their service is great. Anyway, I, I can't praise them enough. They're fantastic. My second, I've been reading Steven Pinker's stuff for many, many years, and I just discovered a book that he wrote a few years ago, I guess, uh, called The Sense of Style, The Thinking Person's Guide to Writing in the 21st Century. And he's trying to be sort of a, a modern, strunken white. Like, you know, this is what you should really be, this is how you should be writing um, so that your writing will be interesting, easy to read, and all that other stuff. But he takes into account the fact that we're in the modern world and online and quickly reading or not reading and so forth. So I uh, definitely, I, I'm only about halfway through it, but I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying it. Sounds interesting. And he, like, uh, yeah, it's just, he's, he's also got like great stories and things to say, which is always good. All right. Well, thank you guys, as usual, for a great conversation. Thank you, dear listener for joining us and we'll be back next week on the freelancer show bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more